0: all right good morning everyone um it is what's what is the date may
1: 1st may day um I'm, we are convening as the marin county transit district board of directors and our first item um, is consideration of approval of directors request to participate remotely and utilize just cause or emergency circumstances per ab2449 and seeing that all our seats are full i assume we don't need to do anything there Correct. All right. So now um, we're on to item two, which is open time for public expression, unless, Kate, there's anything that you would like to share.
2: Yes, thank you. I will call roll and give instructions for participation. President Rice? Here. Vice President Colbert? Here. Second Vice President Lucan? Here. Director Moulton Peters? Here. Director Rodoni? Here. Director Sackett? Here. Director Bushy? Here.
1: Director Casisa,
3: Here.
2: Thank you. We have a quorum.
1: All right. Thank you, Kate. So now we are on to open time for public expression with a limit of two minutes per speaker for items that are not on our agenda today. Is there anyone here in the chambers would like to speak? All right. See no one. Um, Kate, is there anyone
2: online? I'm first going to review the instructions on how to participate Um, at today's meeting in person comments will be held for virtual comments. If you're joining us on zoom and you would like to comment, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you're participating by phone call please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak your name will be called and you'll be prompted to unmute your device, you will then have two minutes to speak this concludes the instructions and I will check to see if we have any raised hands. I see no
1: raised hands at this time. Thank you. All right. So with that, um, we'll move on to Board of Directors Matters. Is there anything that any of the directors would like to share? Yes.
4: Just just one positive at MTC uh, meeting last week. Uh, Marin Transit got accolades for the uh, high rate of uh, ridership that we have. And uh, we had a lot of jealous uh, commissioners who wish they had the same. Um, and and then just a question to you, Madam Chair. Since we're all here, uh, uh, do then can we just do uh, votes of I and uh, the whole group, or do we have to do roll call?
1: I would be happy to do votes of I yep. for everyone. So One and eight.
5: not a roll call. And Kate, is that okay? If I if I may, I, my understanding is that because we are offering a virtual participation for the public, uh, in order for the public to hear whether or not um, the vote has been taken, that we've been asked to do that by uh, our council, I believe, to do that. But I'm willing to check to see if that's absolutely. Okay. So required. what we'll do is today we'll do
1: it by we'll do it by roll call. Um, I know we have other boards that we sit on that we do that, all eyes, but some true. of them call roll too. And then when next month we can um, move on to that if possible. That would be great. All right. Okay. Um, So, any comment, any public comment on board of directors matters? No one here in the chambers. Anyone online, Kate? I see no raised hands. Thank you. All right. So, now we're on to item four. This is the general manager's report. Good morning. Uh, Nancy.
5: Good morning President Rice and members of the board. I have just a few slides to share with you and start off with some uh, good news on our rush landing the site at 600 Rush Landing is, of course, one of the sites that we own and we've been making some improvements to it. <clears throat> Phase one of the improvements was to install charging for four uh, battery electric buses. And that electric infrastructure was done in conjunction with the pg e Fleet Ready program. And that will support the, the electrification that's up there is, a, is uh, prepared to support up to 10 zero emission buses. Phase two is uh, perimeter fencing It includes perimeter fencing. There's currently a a chain link fence around the site and we have um, improved the safety and security of the site by adding a steel fence that you can kind of see in the background here with the, it's black and on the side that is on the highway side, so the US 101 west side of the the site, it includes a concrete barrier at the, the base of it. So um, that, that's going in, that's gone in, actually just completed. It also includes new and improved lighting and partial construction uh, or reconstruction of pavement in, in the site. And next, uh, let's see, in the middle of this month, we will have a new electric gate being installed. So it'll be very secure. And we um, expect completion of the phase, this phase of improvements to be done by the end of May. you can move forward one. And this is just a photo of the um, installation of the lights, the new light standards there. And then you can see the entire. Uh, length of the western side of, of the perimeter fencing with the concrete barrier. So so making some improvements there and I'm happy that those have moved along. Next slide, Kate. And then um, as you know, last month your board approved changes to our bus routes and schedules and those will be implemented on June 11th. Our staff have begun outreach efforts to ensure that riders have all of the ac- access to all of the uh, service change information that they need. We're partnering with community organizations to get that word out. Uh, we'll be providing informational materials, letting riders know that we're available to answer questions and to help them with trip planning. Uh, we're creating bilingual materials, including graphics that will be used on the buses, at bus stops, on social media, and on our website. And we're looking to placing ads uh, in some of the local local newspapers, as well as working with community-based organizations to have the service change information published in their newsletters or on social media. And of course, our, our overall goal is to provide a smooth transition for the writers as we make these changes. We've provided a few of the uh, materials, some of our outreach materials that covered this topic and and others, some of our fair changes they are up there on the front desk if you wanna take a look at them as you leave and we can make those available to uh, to anyone for posting uh, wherever you see fit. Next slide, Kate. So then just turning to what we do every month is to look at the ridership. In fact, I think uh, perhaps uh, Director Moulton Peters was referring to the ridership recovery that we've had in terms of the regional uh, comparison here with all of the other operators. And for the month of February, we were at 81%. Um, You can see though that some of the other operators have uh, improved their their ridership as well, but we're still leading the pack. Um, Next slide, Kate. And then this is a slide that we show every month on the monthly ridership comparison. And here we are uh, the seventh, uh, we, we provided the seventh most trips during the month of February uh, f- compared to all transit agencies across the region. So um, yeah, you, you, know, you can kind of see that we are right up there with kind of the larger operators, in fact. So next slide. And then in your packet, of course, we always provide the monthly report, a monthly monitoring report. And this is the report where we compare our fixed route. This first slide is a fixed route, ridership to ridership from the prior year. And the gray line shows ridership for month by all, um, by month for all of the last fiscal year. And then the red line on the top shows uh, the ridership for this year. And in February, ridership was uh, was over 200,000 at 207,000 passenger trips. Next slide. Um, demand response ridership. As you know, that ridership had has been falling a little bit since September, in fact, and it was at about 41% of pre-COVID ridership uh, levels. And it, it, in fact, dropped below the, the 22 levels there. The trend kind of started to level off, as you can see, uh, but it ha- was 5% lower than the February of, of last year and um, we're at about 5,600 passengers uh, for the month of February. Okay, and that concludes my report and I'll be happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you
0: very much. Any questions for the general manager?
1: All right, any questions uh, from anyone here in the chambers? See no one, anyone online?
2: Uh, yes, we have one public comment here. Anthony Nacor, please unmute.
6: Good morning, um, um, Board of Directors and um, Director of uh, um, um, GM uh, Um Can you hear me, first of all? Yes. Perfect. Um, so, um, um, Nancy, my question to you is uh, whether or not um, you'll be able to um, not just have an educational campaign for the upcoming June 2023 schedules, but um, if you'll be also be kind to have like a free, you know, like a free rides um during the duration of the um service changes, so that um, riders can be acquainted with the um, new schedules and the new routings. And at the same time, um, since um it'll come, you know, like a, in mid June, if you'll also be able to um offer free rides during the 4th of July, similar to what you've done last year, so that uh, we can have riders uh, ride Marine Transit for free to and from the county fair. That will be like a two for one, you know, like a wonderful deal so that we can, you know, like we can get ourselves acquainted with the new network. And uh, it'll be like a big thank you to the riders of Marine Transit who continue to use your services as we recover from the pandemic. Thank you. There are
0: no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, bring it back here. So Nancy, that um, some interesting
1: um, suggestions there, Um, Mm -hmm. if you could maybe provide
5: some comment, and I, I know I have some thoughts. Sure. Um, Yes, we we are going to be providing free fares during the fair. So um, those, as you recall, we've done for um, pre pre COVID, and then um, we've done them uh, last year as well. But we provided free fares on all of our routes during the fair period, the five days of the fair around the Fourth of July holiday. So we we are doing that, and I think. Um, Anthony raises a good point about the fact that it will be kind of a thank you also as we make the, the transition. We are not planning to start them on June 11th though. We, um, it, it'll be the promotion that we're doing for the, during the county fair. So um, we are doing that. We also are starting our student fair, free fairs during the summer for, for students. And that's in collaboration with other North Bay operators, by the way. So, so we are offering free fairs during the summer for, for students.
1: Okay, so um, and when does the when do the free fares for students start? It, it it seems like it might make sense to try to have some alignment, but June first, June first, June first, June 1st. and the service changes go into effect
5: June eleventh.
1: Okay, I, I I um I think that's a really actually interesting idea to consider marrying up um, a free fare promotional. Type of campaign aligned with service changes. Um, I don't know what the cost is. I don't know how difficult that would be to implement. But I'm curious as to whether you all, you know, this is of course at first blush, think there might be some benefit there. And I'm also wondering what um, if what our direct uh, my colleagues might think
5: about that. Nancy, any thoughts first? We can definitely consider that. I'm just thinking through the um, the timing of it. It's a little tricky, certainly. Uh, so if we can get back to you, uh, we'll have a June meeting. And if we could align them, you're thinking with the June 11th service change? Yeah. Um Yes, maybe we should just just a box. Yeah. Any
1: any other com- any other
4: just. A, I yeah. I understand, Nancy. You've got to see mm-hmm. how it works logistically, but really, what it boils down to is advancing or moving up some of the free service you were intending to give. Yeah, just accelerating it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: Okay.
1: Well, I guess what a, before we have the staff go run down that past. Is there other
5: interest in
7: Can I ask a question? What's the logic on June
5: eleventh? That has to do with the changes in the, that that um, Golden Gate, right? It's the Golden Gate changes. So their contracts, their labor contracts, have certain periods that they have their schedule changes implemented. It has to do with the bidding, the way that the drivers bid the work. So just, you know, that's that's how um, they assign the routes and that sort of thing. So we are we follow that schedule. So June eleventh is that. And I should know this, but is are the because
7: you are changing some school routes. Are schools done by June 11th? I'm not sure that they are.
5: Schools, yeah. Come they on, are. Robert. Yeah. School. Yeah. You should know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: So um, as part of the June service changes, we are going to be continuing to run the school routes through the end of the school year on their current schedules. So all the service changes we're talking about that were proposed and approved at your last board meeting, um, those, those will happen on June 11th, and the supplemental routes will actually start in the fall. So the 6, uh, 645 and the 651, which you approved at your last board meeting, those schedules will continue through the end of the school year. All the schools are on a slightly different schedule. And then coming back in the fall, those changes will, will uh, go effective for the 600 series routes. So we will continue service through the remainder of the year to accommodate the schools um, as is.
7: So I guess my comment is I haven't thought through the idea of free service incentivizing people to try new routes. I, I just don't know. I'd love to hear your input on that. But I do see a value in streamlining messaging around a one date. Um, it seems like if there's one, you know, free route, free for kids on June 1st, but school's not actually out. And then June 11th, we're changing. And if we tied... It just seems like a real opportunity to get mixed messaging, I guess. I'll just offer one thing on the free use is last year we started it mid mid to late June when all, once all the schools were out. This year we've been working really closely with all the other operators to do this joint campaign. And if you include Sonoma County and Marin County schools, there's really a diversity of when schools get out. The messaging seemed easier to just say June, June July, August. Um, technically we have not said so anyway everyone is going to promote june july august free rides for youth it was too difficult to get a nuanced exact date of how to align all of the many operators were jointly and the joint campaign seemed worth just doing all three months so that that's the explanation of the june 1st start for the youth but as as a
4: practical matter thing that stops us from promoting it whenever we want to start promoting it Right, right. right. So, so yeah.
1: so I think I think what um, I would suggest is just to give a, a little more thought to should there be any um, realignment or, or or changes in terms of of and is there potentially benefit w- w- whether uh, of offering uh, a free fare period, free rides, Um, aligned with the service changes or being in June or what have you, just give it, I would appreciate and would respect um, whatever your recommendation is as staff to do anything differently than what you propose today. Um, What I was thinking about is um, there seems to me like there might be some value in when the service changes happen and in one, um, rewarding riders for our our current riders and um, giving them a pat on the back for maybe getting used to some different service some service adjustments. and two, you're you're maybe encouraging new folks to get on board uh, right and right at the same time as the service changes have started. But anyway, I could be off there, but appreciate any any feedback next month. Great. Okay. Are we good? All right. Um, so now we will move on to the consent calendar. Any any items anyone like to discuss or take off the consent calendar? None. Um anything you'd like to call out, Nancy? No, not at this time. All right. So then we'd go to public comment on the consent calendar. No one here, anyone online?
2: Um, I would like to note we received written comments on agenda items 5, C, 8, and 9 from a member of the public via the district's online public comment form. The comments have been shared with the board and will be included in the public record of this meeting. Now I will check if we have any raised hands. I see no raised hands. Thank you.
1: Okay, I'll move consent. One second, we have motion. Molten Peters, second, Lucan to approve the consent calendar. Roll call, please. President Rice,
2: how do you vote?
1: Yes, Vice
2: President Colbert, yes, second, Vice President Lucan, yes, Director Molten Peters, yes, Director Rodoni, yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. All right.
1: Thank you. And now we're on to item six, which is the Marin County Transit District draft operating and capital budget
0: for fiscal 23 24. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Board of Directors, Lauren Gradia, Director of Finance and Capital
8: Programs. And I'm gonna be presenting the draft budget for fiscal year um, 2024. Next slide. So I'll give an overview of the budget process and I'll talk about the operations revenues and trends. And we'll look at an overview of operations expenses and talk in a little more detail about each of the program area budgets. And then lastly, we'll look at the capital budget. um, And then following the presentation, I can answer any questions. Next slide. Uh, So every year we start the budget development process in February. Uh, The baseline budget is created from the district's 10-year financial model that matches the board uh, adopted short-range transit plan. Public outreach is done as part of the short-range transit plan process and for any service or contract changes reflected in the document. The operations budget is segmented into program areas for um, administration, local service, rural service, Marin access, and yellow bus service. And we have staff level meetings for each area plus the the capital budget to confirm service levels, to review the current year um, estimated actuals, and to discuss any upcoming plans uh, for changes. The goal for the budget is to preserve the balance of revenues and expenditures over a five-year horizon and then provide for the board adopted service levels while allowing for innovative growth and maintaining the adopted
7: reserve levels.
8: Next slide. So this slide provides a summary of the major budget elements and themes. Uh, The operations budget is balanced and there's a planned expenditure of capital reserves. The draft budget includes the adopted 2023 service changes along with, um, although the change in overall hours is small. The draft budget does not include the proposed Marin access changes, which will be discussed later in this meeting. And if adopted, they would be included in the final budget. One interesting element of the budget is the significant revenue fluctuations that we're seeing in almost every revenue source. And we'll look at why these are happening despite the stability of, some of the underlying revenue sources. And then uh, lastly, for the capital budget, we are planning for the expenditure of the capital reserve to continue to address the needs for facilities. So next slide. This is the summary table for, um, of the budget, which is included in the report. And it shows the actuals from fiscal year 2022 It shows the uh, budgeted and estimated actuals for the current fiscal year. And then it shows the draft budget for FY 2024. It shows the totals for the operations and the capital budgets and the resulting reserve balance. In the FY, uh, or the fiscal year 2024 draft budget, the operations expenses are within the projected operations revenues. And uh, the capital budget includes the expenditure of $1.9 million of uh, reserves for the facility projects. This creates a net reduction of the district's fund balance of, by 1.3 million. And with this budget and the estimated actuals, uh, we would still, we would the district would have a fully funded contingency and emergency reserves to meet the board adopted levels. And then the district would have a
0: $11.1 million capital reserve at the end of the period. Next slide. Um,
8: so starting with operations revenue, this is the donut chart of uh, the district's operations uh, revenue of for 43.8 million. And uh, Marin Transit has always relied on a diverse set of revenues as res- represented in this chart. And um, Measure A, which is the lighter green segment is the lar- the district's largest source of revenue. And it's allocated by uh, to the district by the Transportation Authority of Marin. And it's paid to the district on a reimbursement basis. Measure A funds come to marine Transit in five uh, subcategories at with specific expenditure requirements. Uh, state funds uh, are represented by the blue segment and the orange segment, and uh, they are primarily the State Transit assistant and Transportation Development Act. From uh, they both they come from the state's sales tax and the diesel fuel tax, and they're out al- uh, they're allocated uh, to the. TDA is allocated to the county and split based on a ridership formula, ridership and service formula with SMART and Golden Gate Transit. And then STA, half of half of STA is uh, allocated to each transit district based on their relative share of local um, funds for transit, and the other half is split on population. And the population share for Marin County we split with Golden Gate again on a ridership and service formula. And together, those are about thirty percent of the districts' operation revenues. Uh, Lastly, I'll just point out that fair revenue is about 8% of our revenues, and then we also receive uh, property tax, which is about 9% of the district's revenues and also the most flexible source. Next slide. So I would say this is the most interesting slide to me in the presentation, which is um, this is uh, one of the effects of the pandemic on our financials. Um, So post-pandemic, we're seeing that uh, there are significant revenue fluctuations uh, for the district. And for the most part, our revenue projections, which lead to the allocations that are in the budget, come from other agencies. So the state, uh, the county, or Transportation Authority of Marin. And the pandemic created quite a disruption in a lot of things, including A disruption in how we projected our revenues. We didn't know what was happening, what was going to happen. And so there was um, pretty much across the board an under projection of revenues. Uh, Sales tax, especially in Marin County, remained strong, uh, as did property tax. Um, And now we are seeing a stabilization of those projections, but there's kind of a ripple effect that we're seeing in the actual revenues in our budget. So for example, this chart shows the district's major revenue sources over the last 10 years. And before the pandemic, you can see the revenues are fairly consistent. And then post pandemic, you see those fluctuations. Um, and while those fluctu- while the revenues are fluctuating year over year, those underlying revenues have been stable. So the pandemic, uh, so the, the under projecting, and then also we had some underspending. So if you look at the federal line, which is represented by the blue, um, Line on the graph that uh, we the federal revenue for operations increased significantly during the pandemic with the federal relief funds. And this reduced the amount of Measure AA reimbursements that the district needed and caused kind of the significant drop in the green line during the pandemic. Another one that's somewhat interesting is the TDA line, which is the gray line, which is sales tax based. That was a good example of where we had under projections in the beginning of the pandemic. And that created a large carry forward in the future years um, when uh, when we had the actuals that were higher. And we expended a significant amount of that TDA carry forward last fiscal year. So then we're seeing a drop in revenue in the budget year. So next slide. So this is a, uh, a chart of the revenue variances in the budget that are uh, more than 100,000 and more than 10%. And so this kind of just reflects what I was trying to point out. So we have uh, significant drops in the TDA and the FTA funding as we don't have federal relief funds in this budget. And then there's also significant e- increases in the Measure A and the state transit assistance as we're increasingly uh, relying on those. And then there's also the expenditure of carry forward funds.
4: Lauren, could I ask a quick yes. question on your on your previous graph and yes. this table that when we got the federal funding and we didn't need to use as much measure A, did we still put the Measure A in the bank for future?
8: It stays with TAM if you view TAM as the bank, yes.
4: Uh-huh. So it's not in our bank, it's in no. their bank.
8: So we we draw down measure A on a reimbursement basis. So we show them what expenditures we have and then claim it according to the expenditure.
4: Okay. Thank but you.
5: It is set aside for the transit expenditure. Right. So, it, it well, it's in the bank and their bank. It's for transit. Okay. Thank We're you. we in transit.
4: Yeah.
0: All
5: right. <clears throat> okay. Next slide.
0: And this is one more graph of the Measure A funding. So, this
8: is our Measure A expenditures over uh, the ten-year period. And you can see the, the three bars that are significantly lower, especially in the green line. So, this shows the segmenting between those subcategories of Measure AA. And so, those come in local transit, school transit, rural transit, special needs, and capital. And so, you can see during the pandemic, especially in that local transit, that dark green bar, we had uh, we claimed less Measure A because we had significant federal relief funds. And then we are returning to a more Normal trend line in terms of expenditure of Measure AA. Next slide. So shifting to operation expenses, um, this is the donut chart of the the district's operation expenses. We which are forty, uh, the budgeted at forty three point two million. So the dark green and the light green are the purchase transportation expenses. So these are the majority of the Marin transit expenses. They add up to 75% of the, our operation expenses, and they are comprised of our contracts with uh, for operations. So that would be with Marin Airporter, Golden Gate Transit, TransDev, um, and uh, potentially Bauer for next year. Uh, we are seeing con- uh, continuing increases on the purchase transportation costs. This will be the second year of our new contract with Golden Gate Transit that had significantly higher costs per revenue hour. And then the contract uh, rate for fixed route service with Marin Airporter is less than Golden Gate Transit but it increased 15% this year to accommodate increased driver wages and new fixed uh, costs for operating new services. Um, we the district will continue uh, to put out new competitive procurements in the upcoming year and we will continue to have uh, challenges attracting bidders due to the tight labor market and uh, the lack of operations facilities. And then fuel is also a significant and volatile component of the budget and fuel prices have s- stabilized, but the budget does allow for additional price fluctuations.
0: Next slide. This is the Similar variance chart for the operation expenses um,
8: that are more than 100,000 and greater than 10%. Uh, We're including purchase transportation in this chart even though it doesn't meet that 10% threshold just because of the significant dollar value. Uh, The drops in security and maintenance and customer service are due to the contract changes with Golden Gate Service where we don't directly pay for those components. Next slide. So there are slides on each of the program level budgets. I'll move through these somewhat quickly, but there's definitely more information in the uh, in the draft budget. So the op- administration budget is 4.6 million and it's about 10% of our operations costs. We are there is no change in staffing and we currently have one vacant position. Next slide. Local service is our the biggest component of the budget. And it is sixty-four uh, percent of the operations costs. It's twenty-seven point six billion dollars. Um, it's a similar service level, although it includes the service changes to the uh, current fiscal year. And we are—it does have a ten percent increase in purchase transportation costs. Next slide. This is a chart showing the revenue hours and the passengers uh, for the local service. And the primary uh, takeaway from this is just really the, the stable revenue hours that we've been providing. And then you can also see the dip in passengers that we had on the local service during the pandemic and the recovery that Nancy talked
0: to in her report. Next slide. Uh, yellow bus service. So this is a $1.6 million
8: uh, component of the budget and it includes both the operations of the Ross Valley yellow bus service and then also the grants to five yellow bus programs. Next slide. The rural, bu- the rural uh, service program, which is the West Marin, primarily the West Marin stagecoach, it's, it will be upper, operated by Marin Air Porter and there's no change to the service levels. And that does receive FTA funding through the section 5311 program. Next slide. So the Marin access budget, which includes our local and the operation of the regional paratransit service for Golden Gate Transit. Um, It also includes other programs for um, adults and people with disabilities. We will be talking about some uh, pending changes for this program that if adopted would be incorporated into the final budget. Next slide. And this slide shows uh, the service hours that are currently budgeted in the Marin Access Program. And I think one of the components to point out in this slide is that um, we are, this shows that we are budgeting for increased hours over the estimated actuals for the current fiscal year, but it is important to note that we are budgeting for less hours than we budgeted in the the current fiscal year. So it does create a drop in purchase transportation costs, even though we are allowing for, return of some return
0: of ridership. Uh, Next slide. So lastly, the capital budget, Um, the capital budget, I think it's on the next slide, but
8: it's $16.3 million for the fiscal year 2024. And it does include a significant amount of funds for facilities, which is shown in that blue bar. You can see over the last few years, when uh, there's, I think there's two things to note in the capital budget. There's a lot of variances year over year, depending on what vehicle fleet we're replacing. And then also the um, investment in facilities, you can see on those blue bars, which primarily line up with the facilities that we've purchased Rush Landing, uh, 3000 Kerner, and then 30, 10, 30, 20 Kerner. Uh, planned for next year, you can go to the next slide. We have uh, two major vehicle replacements. We have the seven 30 foot, 35 foot hybrids that are expected next December. We have the, uh, I think it's actually 10 paratransit vehicles uh, that are expected this, um, later this summer. And then we have the purchase of an EV shuttle. We have several f- uh, federally funded bus stop improvement projects and um, including the ADA bus stop improvements and then a capital, new capital corridors project. And then for facilities, we have budgeted um, a project for the yellow bus parking, which has about $3 million. And then we also have construction for 3010, 3020, which includes electrification and a solar solar and parking. We have a project for a break room at 3000 Kerner. And then we do have a placeholder for the continued look uh, project for a fixed route maintenance facility.
0: So with that, um, next slide, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Lauren.
7: Excellent as usual. Uh, Questions? Yes, two questions, Lauren. On the one, just curious about the seasonal staff, point two, what that refers to. And then the other question is on the fare revenue, does that offset the cost of collection? So is it a net or a gross as far as, I'm always curious how much it costs to collect the fares. (laughs)
8: Okay. First question is the the seasonal, st- the part-time staff. And we use that. Those are staff that are primarily the greeters on the Muir-Widge, um shuttle program. Okay. And so that represents, we do employ those directly. And then uh, fair, the fair revenue um, shown there is not net of cost. So it is just the fares we collect. We do track uh, uh, the operational costs, so the like transactional fees that we would have on collecting, on especially credit card, we are increasingly taking credit cards for different passes and things like that. So we track those costs and we have those in a separate, that's an expense line. Yeah. I would say that it's important to note that that 8% is not our fare box recovery ratio because in our operations costs, there are things like the grant program for um, yellow bus that aren't. Uh, transit costs. So you can't say that we have an 8% fare box recovery ratio.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate the update and report. You always present a good budget, easy to understand. Item six in the packet, the pre-COVID and post-COVID, looking at measure A, and I assume this is actual drawdown of measure A funds. Correct. So it's not reflective that Sales tax didn't drop. It's it's no. reflective of what we draw drew down. Okay. And then likewise, looking at the 23-24 budget on the next page, the five million dollars in addition, again, that's drawing down additional measure A funds, not necessarily reflective that that the sales tax has gone up that much. Correct. Yeah.
8: The it projections works. for measure A next year are very flat, but we do have they we have carry forward funds. So in the Immediate term, it doesn't have a big impact, and it would have an impact over time.
3: I think it'd be helpful for me to see the measure A sales tax over the last five years, how that's performed. At some point, okay. Thank you.
8: There is a chart also in the budget, in the budget document on page, I um, can page eight, uh, that tries to show uh, the 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 actual allocations that we receive every year. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the drawdowns, because they can be significantly different. So that might be a helpful place to start. And it also does show the difference between what we're allocated versus what the actuals that come in, because that,
0: that, that variation has a significant effect on our revenues.
9: Okay, thank you. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I mean, are we gonna do comments after this, or just general questions? Quick
1: questions that you can throw a comment into if you would like to.
9: Okay, thanks. Yeah, so you know, these are this is always such an interesting thing, right? Like it's it's a pretty tight budget. It's easily understood. Um, it's on a certain level, it's the most important thing that we do, right? To make sure it's it's sort of functioning. So I feel like if I don't say anything, my constituents may think I'm sleepwalking through it, um, which I'm not. I'm totally here with the rest of my board members. But I guess my question, Nancy, is, is always this, right? From looking at it, it seems so tight, well-run ship. That's great. And uh, I've been on the board long enough to understand we're providing local service. You know, we got that great report uh, from a commissioner, from Dr. Moulton Peters, you know, is there any context I should be thinking about this, about, you know, all the other headlines, the death of public transit, right, San Francisco's in a doom loop, and, or just sort of fundamentally different from that,
5: you know, any, any like, mm-hmm.
9: where, where that relates to this?
5: Sure, we could have a, a nice long discussion about that, I, I think. But sh- short answer is that, you know, we came to you with a, a five-year projection uh, a while back, that is our was our mini short range transit plan, and one of the things that Lauren and her team, and all of our, our team, do is is continue to look forward. Right, we're always trying to see what what does our future look like here, and obviously very very tricky in the last few years to see what what that looks like. I think that one of the interesting things for us regarding our ridership was not only where we are today with the, the kind of pre-COVID ridership, we've been there for a, quite a while. You know, we, we rebounded, if you will, quite quickly. So I think that speaks very much to the the demand for our service. And we know that it's going to be there, unlike some of the other things that you hear in the news. And, and you know, we've we've talked about the fact that some of the commute-oriented services that go into San Francisco are in a vastly different situation than we are. So so commute service like Golden Gate commute routes, the ferry services the, and BART um, are, are really in a very different situation because of the way workers are staying, you know, do not go into downtown San Francisco the way they used to. So our local riders are very very dedicated, they and they're reliant on our services, and they are still making the trips that they have been were making pre pre COVID. So they're working service jobs, they're working in other other places that require them to be there. They're not tending to work from home. They're going to school. They're doing all the other trips that they made on our services. So I think the the takeaway for us is really looking at for me. I think right now is is the cost side is what, what Lauren was talking about. The costs are going up faster than revenues generally which is not atypical in in a lot of public sector services, but certainly that's something that we keep an eye on when we look out in our short-range transit plans or five-year forecasts or 10-year forecasts. We're always looking at that, trying to say, okay, if if our costs are going up a little faster, where can we tighten up? And we've been able to do that. So those are are some things that we face. And then I'll just do my last (laughs) pitch about the fact that we don't have a facility, which really does, I, I think, it, it, we're going to really see how that's going to impact our our transition to a zero emission bus fleet, which you're going to hear about today or later, as well as. Um, what, it, what it means for the competition for contracts. And and we are seeing that already as we tried to secure a Muir Woods uh, provider as we've looked for service providers elsewhere. It's just very, very difficult for us to attract competition when we don't have a facility where we can say we've got a stable place to park and maintain buses. So those are kind of the, the differences, I would say. The, that's not something that I know anybody in the re, any other transit agencies in the region face. So it, we are a bit of an outlier that way. So I think. Thanks.
8: The only thing I would add is that uh, our, rela- our fare box recovery ratio is low, but in terms of the the big difference between like a BART and other rail providers is their fare revenue provided a lot a greater percent of their operations revenues. So without riders, it, it creates an imbalance between their revenues and expenses that we don't experience because we have a low farebox ratio and our riders have returned.
4: If I might, uh, following up on Director Colbert's question, it, it also seems to me that items number seven and eight are areas where we are gonna be considering adjustments to our system
0: mm-hmm.
4: uh, be, because of the performance we have there. Yeah. So some parts of it are changing, and, and we'll hear more about that. All right,
0: any other anything else? Yes, go ahead, Mirva.
10: A couple of uh, very detailed questions. Um, looking at the summary table, I'm, I'm comparing uh, the actuals with the budget, particularly looking at um, uh, fiscal year 22-23. Why are the actuals so far off from the budget and, should, and it se- that seems to be a pattern. Should we expect that in the future or did something happen in
8: this particular? The primary difference I think is in the capital side. And so we tend to, uh, we had anticipated some of the, the fleet, the seven thirty five foot hybrids would be delivered. And then plus we also have that, we have a $3 million project budgeted for the yellow bus uh, facility that we didn't secure because we haven't been able to find land. So it's primarily in the capital budget and it tends to happen because of those facilities.
11: Yeah. Right. I, I saw that. Okay.
10: I was talking about the operations okay. budget. Um, it looks like the, the numbers are off by close to 10%. Is that typical? Should we expect that in the future or?
8: Some of that is all. Uh, so Paratransit, we reduced a little bit. Um, we do tend to be under budget. Um, we allow for f- fuel fluctuations. But then also on paratransit, we we planned for a greater increase in demand on paratransit. And we are bringing that down. So that should take that we should be closer this year than we were last year.
10: So prudent management has a little cushion in there. Is that a, is that my takeaway?
8: A, sure.
10: Okay, all right um now, um moving on to another detailed question on your page number fifteen, you talk about c p i, and I think I understand what happens with salaries it It says the salary bands are expanded, but the salaries are not automatically increased correct i'm I'm wondering if. There's so what actually happens? Um, does that tend to get translated? It, it looks like it, it looks like it gets translated into on
8: um, a, a bigger budget. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh- There are no guarantee. I think the the distinction is that there's no guaranteed salary increases. We do increase the bands by CPI every year. And so then based on performance reviews, if you have a a meeting expectations, performance reviews, that typically translates to CPI.
11: Thank you.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. If there are no other questions here, uh, is there any question or comment from the public? Um, We can go online. I see no raised hands on Zoom. All right, so I will bring back here. Um, anything to close? This is um, basically an opportunity to review the budget and provide some comments and then it will be coming back? Mm-hmm. Correct. And when will that be? June 5th. Okay, for for final approval. Correct. Okay. Yeah, Brian, any other comments?
9: Uh, no, I'll just reiterate. You know, I, I really appreciate the clarity and uh, the nice use of, of graphs um, to sort of make it easily digestible. So, uh, thank you.
1: And I think I would add um, just to piggyback on Mary Beth Bushy's uh, comments that you know, um, definitely, we uh, they're, they're today today's budget and presentation and prudent approach reflects how this district has really been operating for many, many years and um, navigating well those ups and downs, and also to the degree that we can forecast into the future. Um, um, being able to really maintain service and expand where we can and and make adjustments. So kudos to you, Lauren, uh, and the entire team. So we don't need to take an action, I don't think. All right. So Lauren, thank you so much. And uh, directors, if you have any follow-up questions or comments for Lauren or Nancy on this, I'm sure they will make themselves available. So now we're on to item seven, and this is the Marin Transit Connect pilot program evaluation. And as Director Molt Peters noted, items seven and eight do um, do relate directly to um, our review of the budget we just had.
5: Thank you. Yes, and uh, Asher Butnick will be doing the presentation today, but actually you kind of said what I wanted to say and the two items are are related. So you'll hear an evaluation that Asher will present. And then in item eight, we'll be talking about kind of what the recommendation is coming out of this evaluation. So as you think about questions you have, you might wanna consider that we will get a full discussion of it under item eight as well, so.
12: All right, good morning, President Rice and members of the board. My name is Asher Butnick, Transit Planner with Marin Transit, and item number seven in your packet this morning is the Marin Transit Connect Pilot Program Evaluation. Next slide. I'm going to start with a brief overview of the Connect Program history, go over some trends across the five-year span of the program, and then really focus in on what's been happening for the past year. Next slide. So transit agencies across the country face a huge problem when it comes to delivering same-day accessible rides to their riders. Here in Marin, we've heard from our Marin Access Riders, which are Marin County residents age 65 and up or who have mobility impairments, that same-day transportation needs present a significant issue to them. The Connect pilot program was intended, intended to solve that problem. Next slide. Uh, launched in May 2018, Connect started as a microtransit program focused in Northern San Rafael with connections to the Civic Center Smart Station, major employers in the area, medical facilities, and other facilities focused on older adults. The primary goal of the program was to provide same-day accessible transportation to older adults and people with disabilities. And the program also had a secondary goal of providing first last mile connections to the commuters in the area with the idea that these riders would help make the program feasible for Marin Access riders who really need the service. To encourage commuter ridership, the district partnered with some major employers in the area to sponsor their employees' fares, while Marin Access riders were given a reduced fare to encourage their use of the program. The one-year evaluation presented to your board in July 2019 concluded that the program was doing a good job of serving commuters who made up 92% of ridership at the time, but was not meeting the needs of Marin Access riders. Next slide. Two major changes occurred to the program in 2020, first in February and then again in July. The July changes were planned pre-COVID and were not a response to the pandemic. These changes were intended to increase ridership, Marin Access ridership in particular, and decreased technology costs. The changes included a significant service area expansion to two and a half miles from all the smart stations, increasing the general public fare to be distance-based while preserving a low fixed rate fare for marine Access riders, switching to the Uber platform, and integration with TAM's $5 first last mile voucher program. This remains the current version of the program. Unfortunately, ridership on Connect was heavily impacted by COVID, starting in March 2020, so we can't really do an apples-to-apples comparison of these changes relative to the first iteration of Connect. Next slide. First, I want to quickly go over the Connect service parameters. Service is provided by Marin Transit contractors and district-owned vehicles, and operates weekdays from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. It is an on-demand service, which means that when users request a ride, The Uber app finds the nearest vehicle that will be available the soonest and assigns the ride. General public riders must schedule via the Uber app while Marin Access riders have the choice of either using the app or calling the Marin Access call center. Users can schedule rides in advance, but advanced scheduling does not guarantee availability. The app basically just pre-schedules a on-demand ride request. Marin Access riders pay a flat $3 fare while general public riders pay a distance-based fare. Next slide. So moving on to the historical program trends. Next slide. Uh, This chart shows Connect ridership from the program inception through March, 2023. As you can see, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, ridership has not recovered. There is some seasonal variation, which is normal, but for the most part, we are not seeing a ridership recovery in the same way that we're seeing on other programs. Other marine Access programs are seeing 40 to 50% of pre-COVID ridership, but Connect is seeing 26%. The proliferation of hybrid and remote work has significantly reduced the number of commuters who use the program and program unreliability is also a contributing factor to the low ridership numbers. Next slide. Uh, despite declining ridership, costs have remained fairly constant over time. This is due in part to the fact that on Connect, we pay for standby hours or time when drivers are waiting for a ride to come in, not just revenue or passenger on board hours. We have reduced the hours somewhat in response to low ridership we're seeing today, but increased hourly rates have prevented us from seeing a significant savings associated with the hours reduction. Next slide. The combination of low ridership and static costs have led to a significant increase in per passenger subsidy over time. The per passenger subsidy we're seeing today on Connect is more than double what we were seeing pre-COVID. Next slide. So this leads us to what's happening right now on Connect. This section focuses on data from the past year. Next slide. In stark contrast to the 8% of ridership they made up at the time of the one-year evaluation, Marin Access riders now make up 53% of Connect ridership. This is not really due to a significant increase in Marin Access ridership, but due to the severe drop in general public ridership. The lack of general public riders to support the program is making it unviable. Next slide. On the cost side, I mentioned that standby time is a major contributor to why program costs have not gone down despite low ridership. As you can see here, over half of the contractor hours on Connect are spent in standby mode, waiting for pickup requests to come in, while less than 20% of hours are spent with passengers on board. which are the revenue hours shown in blue there. Next slide. Despite the large amount of time drivers spend waiting for ride requests to come in, wait times are extremely high on Connect. Although Marin Transit did reduce the program hours slightly in June of last year to reflect low ridership, staff shortages at Transdev have meant that the contractor is still unable to fulfill the requested hours, which means that most of the time, there's only one connect vehicle on the streets. Given the large service area, this makes it challenging to fulfill every ride request that comes in. 25% of ride requests result in the user canceling because the wait time is so high, and a further 18% of ride requests are simply told that their trip is not possible. These reliability issues are a contributing factor to the low ridership on Connect. The program cannot serve its riders' needs. Next slide. The map on the right of this slide shows high pickup and drop-off activity. The darker colors indicate more rides happening in those areas. The highest use individual locations are the Civic Center Smart Station, Kaiser Hospital, Marin Health Urgent Care, and Marin General. However, there's also a large number of trips to and from other medical facilities in downtown San Rafael, downtown Novato, and Terra Linda, along with grocery stores and large senior living facilities throughout the service area. Next slide. This slide compares subsidy per passenger across Marin Access programs in the second quarter of the current fiscal year, which would be October through December of 2022. Costs are changing so quickly that for the cost comparison, the most recent quarter is the most apt comparison. Uh, Paratransit, the $85 bar in the middle, is our ADA-mandated program, and serves as somewhat of a benchmark to compare other programs. These programs are meant to supplement paratransit and offset its costs. Connect subsidy per passenger is almost double that of paratransit's. Next slide. So this slide summarizes some other statistics for the past year on Connect. Average productivity was 1.1 trips per contractor hour. And again, note that Connect is the only program for which the district pays for non-revenue hours. Average daily ridership was 16 one way trips or eight round trips. Uh, the next table. Thanks. Uh, over the course of the entire year, there were 163 unique riders on Connect, which ranged from 25 to 50 unique riders in any given month. This demonstrates that Connect is largely catering to a relatively small group of frequent riders, not to the broad passenger base that was hoped for at the program's inception. Next table. Here are some statistics about the average trip. Most wait times are six to 24 minutes, and that only takes into account completed trips. For the, 25, for the 25% of ride requests that result in a cancellation, the average predicted wait time is likely much higher. Uh, next slide. As part of the evaluation process, we also solicited feedback from current riders of the program. Next slide. Riders had both positive and negative things to say about Connect. They liked the comfort of the Connect vehicles relative to the paratransit cutaways, and they liked the same-day, on-demand nature of the program. However, they found the service reliability issues to be a serious barrier to using the program, and some were also frustrated by the limited service hours, service area, and the inability to use fare assistance credit for those who qualify for that program. Uh, Next slide. So, what are the takeaways from this evaluation? Next slide. Uh, Connect in its current form with its current ridership patterns is an inefficient program. Productivity is low, subsidy is high, and driver hours, which are especially precious in this time of driver shortages, are not being well utilized. The ridership has not recovered, and all signs indicate that this pattern is not likely to change anytime soon. The service is unreliable, which causes rider frustration and prevents the program from meeting rider needs. The limited driver resources would have a much greater impact in other programs. So that's the end of the presentation.
0: All right Asher thank you so much well maybe thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> So um I suspect there may be some questions but I'm actually thinking that because um the next item really speaks to um really sort of how to adjust for changes that we might make to the Connect program um or in in light of the the Connect program's performance. What I think I'm going to do is um, go to the public to see if there's anyone specifically who wants to speak on seven, and then go right on to eight, and then kind of fold in all of our comments and questions together. Kate?
2: Yes, Anthony Nacor, please unmute.
6: Good morning once again, and i um... Thank you, Asher, for the wonderful um, budget report that you have. Uh, you, I mean, the um, report that you've done for uh, Marine Access and the um, Dollar Ride services. So, a uh, quick, uh, quick comment over here: um, the low ridership um, statistics on the um, Novato Dollar Ride and the Marine Transit Connect reinforces the need to actually have better um, transit service for both San Rafael and Novato, especially when um, the when the when the figures seem to be much lower than expected, and when I saw that you you, you know like uh, that your services have already gotten only gotten about twenty five to fifty unique riders a month, that reemphasizes the need to actually reinvest um in better transit service, um in Northern Marin County because number one um the driver you know like um layover is already um. A, a huge issue on the budget and number 2 the budget could actually be better um you know like a used to um actually add more services to places that desperately need um, transit service, especially when Golden Gate Transit has not um, restored a lot of services north of San Rafael. So hopefully, this um, you know, like this report will give you a challenge to reinvest more in better transit service, fixed route um, for both um, San Rafael and Novato, especially when um, we are slowly recovering from the pandemic. Thank you. I
1: see
2: no additional raised hands on Zoom.
1: All right, Andy. Thank you so much for your comments. Um, and i just got to just remind folks for context um, before we move on to the, next, to the next item, which is related. That um, and just and if I'm if I'm misspeaking, Asher, uh, sure, please let please correct me. Really, the Marin Transit Connect program was about trying to create an alternative, a feasible alternative, for our um, Marin Access passengers. I mean, yes, that was the primary goal of the program. All right. And so with that, we will now, if we're all happy with accepting this report, move on to item eight, which is, as I've said three times, directly related.
5: Yes. Um, Item eight is directly related, as you said. And I just wanted to, to note that It is a broad recommendation here before you, and um, there are a number of our our team have worked on this and they are available to answer questions as well because it's a pretty uh, comprehensive look at all of the Marin Access Services. So just wanted to let you know that. And with that, I'll introduce Joanna Hewitt, who's going to make the presentation.
13: Good morning, President Rice and Board of Directors. Joanna Hewitt, Senior Mobility Planner with Marin Transit. <clears throat> Item 8 in your packet is a recommendation for changes to the Marine Access suite of programs. Uh, next slide, please. As part of this presentation, we'll do a review of the current suite of Marine Access programs and services, share information about the outreach we've done and writer feedback we've collected, share information about the Marine Access program proposal and expected impacts, and then review the proposed timeline for implementation. <clears throat> Finally, I'll share the specifics of our recommendation. Next slide, please. In April, staff came to your board with an update about Marin Access. As you may recall from that presentation, the Marin Access suite of programs has evolved over time in response to specific challenges and in the interest of improving the rider experience. This this slide shows where we are today. The, The red box is mandated paratransit service. This is a service Marin Transit is obligated to provide under the ADA. The orange box shows our discretionary programs that are available for those that are 65 plus or ADA eligible. Finally, the green box shows discretionary programs that are available to the general public that include an aspect that makes them attractive to Marin Access riders. For Connect and dial a riders do not have to go through the eligibility process.
11: Next slide, please.
13: Marin, Ac- Marin Access continues to face key challenges Ridership has not recovered across all marine Access programs. Ridership is still close to just 50% of pre-COVID ridership. Costs are not leveling off due to reduced demand. And some contracts include heavy fixed fees that we pay regardless of demand. <laughs> As you're aware, um, industry-wide, there is an unprecedented driver shortage. Staffing levels have a direct impact on service and reduced reliability. The changes in program additions have over time been duplicative to a degree, and this has left our resources spread across a lot of programs. Finally, upcoming contract changes require that we do a comprehensive review of our programs and make adjustments. As we developed a plan for improvement, we referenced our overarching goals. First, to provide effective mobility options for older adults and people with disabilities. Second, to achieve high levels of customer satisfaction with our services. And finally, to focus our programs and services on the populations most in need. By focusing our efforts on meeting these goals, we expect the following outcomes. That the recommended changes will stabilize mandated ADA paratransit service, service reliability will be improved across all programs, and we will see improvements in both operational efficiency and cost effectiveness. Next slide, please. In order to develop a set of recommended changes we utilized existing data sources engaged stakeholders and collected direct rider feedback during focus groups <clears throat> challenges with marine access programs have been emerging for some time and this is an effort we've been informally working on for quite a while this spring we concentrated our efforts thank you this spring we con- concentrated our efforts to develop a final set of recommendations to bring to your board Some examples of how and where we collected feedback include outreach for the Marin Access Innovation Incubator or GAP grant program in fall 2021, where we collected feedback from stakeholders in West Marin. Rider survey responses from the annual Marin Access Rider Survey and surveys done of Novato Dyloride riders in spring 2021 and this spring. Meetings with our advisory committees and finally rider focus groups held this April, where we collected direct feedback from riders in person or virtually. The recommendations developed for this report are the culmination of this outreach and analysis over the last 18 months. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Um, so this slide shows a summary of the findings from our outreach. First, <laughs> there's stuff on the slide. <laughs> First, riders depend on marine access programs and services and may have many have no other options, particularly those that participate in our Fair Assistance Program. Second, poor service reliability has led many to abandon specific programs. The driver shortage has greatly impacted our service and required that we shift resources from discretionary programs such as connect to mandated paratransit. This led to reduced reliability and many riders have chosen to stop using these programs altogether. Third, program limitations such as service hours, service area and trip counts impact trip making decisions. Fourth, riders appreciate friendly trained drivers. Fifth, trip flexibility, sorry, fifth, same-day accessible service allows for flexibility in trip making. Sixth, trip flexibility for medical appointments is key to accessing healthcare. Medical appointments may be changed, run long, or require follow-up appointments the same day. Flexibility allows riders to have confidence they have the ability to get to and from these appointments. And finally, fair assistance allows riders to access necessities, but increased flexibility is desired. As we collected feedback and heard from riders and other stakeholders, we integrated the findings into the proposal to get where we're at today. Input received from riders and stakeholders throughout this process was instrumental in helping us craft a set of recommended changes to improve marine access. Next slide, please. So this slide shows an overview of the recommended changes. There are no recommended changes for paratransit, but the changes to other programs are expected to improve the service by allowing us to concentrate driver resources on mandated paratransit. The green box shows programs that include minimal changes that are largely administrative, but do have expected positive impacts on riders. These changes are detailed in the letter to your board. I do wanna note that there is a typo in the letter. For the volunteer driver programs, the recommended change increases the reimbursement rate from 60 cents per mile to 70 cents per mile. The orange box shows uh, programs with a larger set of changes. I, I will be focusing on these during the presentation. Overall, staff believe that this set of recommendations will improve Marin access for all riders. Next slide, please. So, the first major recommendation includes cancellation of Nevado Dialeride and Connect. Uh, ridership on both Connect and Nevado Dialeride has not recovered since the pandemic in fiscal year 23 to date. Average monthly ridership for both programs is less than 30% of pre-COVID levels. Um, pro- program limitations, such as service hours, service area, and limited supply, are challenges for riders and in some cases have led to riders abandoning the programs. The conclusions you heard in the Connect evaluation just a bit ago largely apply to the Nevada dial as well. Uh, both programs serve the general public and Marin Access riders. General public riders are expected to shift to using fixed route service and Marin Access riders are expected to shift to using the new Catcher Ride pilot program that I will uh, describe in a moment. We will retain aspects of what work, works well from each program and focus our resources on the population most in need, our Marin
0: Access riders. Next slide. So the next major change that's proposed is for Catch-A-Ride. For Catch-A-Ride,
13: staff recommend piloting a new expanded model for the program and enhancing it to provide reliable same-day and accessible service. The change would transition the current Catch-A-Ride program to a voucher model where Marin Transit will partner directly with providers. Under the new model, the existing Catch-A-Ride call center will be eliminated and riders will shift to booking trips directly with providers. Next slide. This slide shows the recommended Marin Access Program starting July 1, 2023. The red box again is mandated paratransit service and the orange box shows our discretionary programs. With these changes, we will be shifting our reliance on internal resources to external providers to stabilize paratransit service and ensure compliance with all regulatory requirements.
11: Next slide, please. So this slide provides
13: more detail on the proposed Catch-a-Ride 2.0 pilot program. This program will be available for those eligible for marine access that are 65 plus or ADA eligible. Key characteristics of the program are that it will be a voucher-based program that will allow riders to take trips on taxis or TNCs such as Uber. Riders will receive paper or digital vouchers or a mix of both on a quarterly basis to use for their trips. Riders that are eligible for fare assistance will receive a higher subsidy and more more vouchers. In order to ensure the program is accessible, Marin Transit will lease an accessible vehicle that was formerly used for the Connect program to providers. Our provider network will initially include North Bay Taxi and Uber. Uh, uh, the, The table at the bottom of this slide summarizes program details by rider type. General Marin Access riders will pay a $5 base fare for each trip, and 100% of the cost of the trip above $25. These riders will be limited to 31 way trips per quarter. Fair assistance eligible riders will receive two voucher types, standard vouchers and long distance vouchers. These riders will not be required to pay a base fare for each trip, but will pay 100% of the cost of the trip above $25 when using the standard voucher and 100% of the cost of the trip beyond $40 when using the long distance voucher. Fair assistance eligible riders will receive 30 standard vouchers per quarter and 10 long distance vouchers per quarter. The total cost of each trip will be based on the established distance-based rates for each provider. The intent of this program is to preserve the access riders have today. The subsidy level will be increased across the board, and we will introduce additional benefits for those that are eligible for our fair assistance program and
11: have income barriers. slide.
13: Uh, the catch a Ride 2.0 pilot program includes two voucher types, a paper voucher and a digital voucher. The paper vouchers will be accepted by North Bay Taxi. This requires an agreement with North Bay Taxi. As part of this agreement, we will lease an accessible vehicle formerly used for Connect to the provider. The second voucher type is a digital voucher administered in the Uber app that will allow riders to book trips via Uber. This requires an agreement with Uber to implement the voucher program. Riders will also have the option of receiving a mix of vouchers, half usable in the Uber app and half usable with North Bay Taxi. This is something we heard from uh, riders during our focus groups. That would give them more flexibility when they're making decisions about their trip making. <clears throat> Next slide,
11: please. As this is a pilot program,
13: we will be evaluating it on an ongoing basis to determine effectiveness and where adjustments may be needed. We will be evaluating this program based on trip making activity, cost and subsidy amounts, and the use of each provider type. The rider experience is particularly important for this in all rider programs um, across the board. So we'll be soliciting and collecting direct feedback from riders throughout the pilot period to understand their experience. We are uh, excited to learn from, from the new Catch a Ride pilot. It's a discretionary program that we believe allows us to offer the most flexibility for our riders while keeping in mind our limited resources.
11: Next slide, please.
13: <clears throat> the recommended changes include cost reductions and increases. With the anticipated net reduction in cost being nearly two hundred and thirty thousand, cost reductions include reduced revenue hours from Nevada Dial-A-Red, and Connect, reduced costs through elimination of the existing Catch-a-Ride call center, and reduced costs of the existing Uber software as a service contract. Cost increases include the increased reimbursement rate for volunteer driver programs and new costs related to the Catch a Ride Pilot Program, largely related to an expected increase in usage of the program. Overall, staff expect these changes to increase the long-term sustainability of marine Access programs. Next slide, please.
11: Uh, this slide summarizes
13: the expected impact of the recommended program changes. We expect these changes to allow for stabilization of the ADA-mandated paratransit program, focus programs and resources on the population most in need, improve service reliability, program eligibility, and for riders to increase flexibility in how and when they use Marin Access. Next slide. So this slide shows an overview of our timeline. In March and April, we did targeted outreach to riders, including hosting several rider focus groups. In April, we brought a program update to your board, and today we are making a recommendation for changes to the marine access programs. Should your board approve the set of recommendations, we will begin an expansive writer education campaign to educate writers on the changes. Writer education will likely include mailers and other direct outreach to writers, presentations at advisory committee meetings, and to key stakeholders such as the Commission on Aging. We'll also do a refresh of our website and marketing collateral. We anticipate implementing the recommendations on July 1, 2023. Next slide. This slide details the specifics of the action we are requesting your board to take. The request is to accept the staff recommended program changes and approve a 12-month pilot program to enhance Catch-a-Ride, to cancel the Nevado dial a and Connect programs, to make ad- additional administrative changes to improve program legibility and the rider experience, and to authorize the general manager to negotiate contracts with Uber and North Bay Taxi. And next slide. And that concludes the presentation. Thank you. I'm happy to answer any questions.
11: Thank you,
1: Joanna. Excellent. Um, Excellent report. Questions? Yeah, Eric, go ahead.
14: Uh, Thank you, Joanna, for the great report here. Um, So just trying to we've got a lot of different programs. And I think what I one of my biggest takeaways from this is that we need to simplify our messaging. And you mentioned some of the marketing collateral. Um, How are we thinking about this and and how do we make this simple for for the public to understand between fixed route, marine access, paratransit, dial a ride, catch a ride, connect? I mean, and there's probably three or four or five others that I could mention. Or, you know, is it purely you've got your fixed route and then you're on demand and then we kind of break it out from there? How are we... How are we communicating this or plan to communicate this?
13: I think uh, through all avenues that we can, I believe we would would use those. Um, we don't necessarily silo both programs. all to some degree we do, but I think there's opportunities for marine access writers to also use fixed route. Um but yeah, I think really any any and every avenue um, is how we would or we're, we're planning to communicate the changes.
5: Yeah, just to add on that that I think. Well, you're right. We don't silo the programs and there are people who cross over certainly between those two. It is kind of the main way that we do organize a lot of our information. So if you are a fixed route writer and you're using our website, for example, our program, our, you know, how uh, trip planning tools or anything like that, that's, that's where you're going to be is in our fixed route program. And Then for the marine access programs, I think one of the very reasons that we're doing what we're doing here is to help streamline it and make it easier for people to understand because the programs, as you know, had grown over time and they had, you know, it was kind of added on and added on and added on. And so now we're taking, you know, this comprehensive review and evaluation and trying to make it easier overall. So I think, you know, as Joanna said, we will be reaching out kind of using all communication channels possible to do that outreach, but the message is going to be a lot easier than the one that we've had in the past, which, you know, we've relied on our travel navigators to try to help with that because we often would say to users, particularly, if they were um, interested in services for older adults or for ADA user, users we'd, re- we'd direct them in, in that direction in particular but um, it, it's not the only way you can get information travel you know travel navigators is just is, is one of the best ways but not the only way so they will have that information of course too um, so it's just I think again we're able to to really streamline a lot of of the messaging here, including how, you you know, the users who are uh, income eligible. I think that's also been an area where we've really made an improvement here. So um, that's kind of the the general thinking, Mm -hmm. but we'll report back to the board, of course, on the outreach that we're doing. I think we got some ideas, in fact, from the, the outreach that we've already done. So through those focus groups, I think we have a better idea of, of how to reach out to, to people. Um, the good part of the types of users that are in the Marine Access Program is we do have that ability to talk to, to reach out to them directly because we have that contact information. They aren't anonymous, uh, at least not m- many of them. Anybody in the, who's an eligible user under marine access is not. Um, yeah, you know, We can contact them directly, I guess is what I'm saying.
14: Yeah, no, I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to simplify potentially even more. I know you mentioned about updating marketing collateral, whether there's an opportunity to bring in. You know, more of a, a marketing branding type person that can help organize the programs in a way. I would bring it up because I, we're some things are going away, which makes it simple. But then we're also introducing new terms like the West Marin Dial Ride now becomes a Marin Access Shuttle. What yeah. you know, it, it's it's an opportunity to maybe not introduce new terms, but to simplify. So whether that's an opportunity or or a um, you know something to consider during that marketing to bring in somebody from the outside to, to look at it and give us some some ways to organize this information. I think it'd be in the benefit of our public. Great. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. great. Right, go ahead. Uh, thanks. Um, thanks for your presentation. It seems like you're trying to make all these programs more efficient and also cost effective at the same time. So it's kind of like a win-win type thing. On the Catch a Ride Program 2.0, how did you determine the rider, what the rider pays in the trip count for the quarter? And then couple that along with also is, it seems like they, people would have the ability to get paper vouchers. How would that piece of it work?
13: I'll start with the second question. So the paper vouchers, we would distribute those uh, quarterly via mail. Um, as Nancy, Nancy mentioned, we do have contact information and mailing addresses. So we would send those out to riders. Um, currently, uh, riders in the current Catch a Ride program get 10 trips per month. Um, and so we're just spreading that off of, uh, over a quarter now. So 30 trips per quarter, that extra 10 trips for our riders that qualify for our fair assistance program, direct feedback from our rider focus group is really how we determine that those additional trips were needed, um, particularly f- for that population.
3: Okay. And just out of curiosity, if somebody would be short during, say, a quarter, they wanted more vouchers, would we be issuing them more vouchers if they if they needed them? during that quarter,
7: if they were over the 30 or over their limit? We would not, no. All right, thanks. Yeah, Mary, I have a couple questions. So again, just the July 1st, kind of back to the earlier conversation of, is there a way to get all the dates somewhat aligned for when things start? Um, second question is, is the taxi a personal dispatcher, like a phone call that you would call in? Um, And are we keeping the travel navigators? And then the final question is on the $25. Just curious how that number was arrived at. Is that based on our financing or is that based on need? And, you know, just a concern about going over that, what happens in particular if somebody goes out of the county and can they originate out of the county? So if somebody needs to go to San Francisco for a medical appointment, maybe it costs $30. Can they? for one way, when they come back, can it originate in San Francisco and come back and they can still use that $25 credit?
13: Yeah. So trips have to start or end in Marin County. So if they did go to medical appointment in San Francisco, they could take a trip back. Um, uh, Once the cost hits $25 based on the established meter rate, the rider pays hundred percent of the fare beyond
5: that. And I, I guess the answer then on the twenty-five dollars, how we arrived at it. Um, part of it is keeping it simple. So you know, we we went with a number that a round number, of course. But also in the past, we've noticed that the trip making, uh, and Robert, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the trips' average trip length was around three, a little over three miles, and within the twenty-five dollars, you get a little over three miles. So it was it was kind of around that same. Average trip length, so that many trips that could be made with uh, that within that twenty five dollar limit, uh, where then the user would pay their five dollars, um, and if you're income qualified, you would have you pay nothing. So that was kind of one of the benchmarks, I believe that we used. Um, and then you asked about travel navigators, and and. And they, they, they will stay. They definitely, they are part of the trans contract, and they will definitely stay. Uh, I think, I think that was yeah, those are your questions. Just Maybe. the only other one
7: was on uh, the taxi dispatch. Oh, is oh. that live or is that it's, is there a person? Yeah,
13: yeah, it's live. Uh, the rider would call the taxi company directly and schedule their trip. It could be same day. It could be in advance. Um, but yeah, it is a live person that they would be calling to schedule their trip. And it's it would be more direct than it is today. Um, today, our call center is a little clunky and um, there's a, a middle middle person. Um, so it's definitely what we've heard from riders is that's been a challenge. And so we expect that to improve their experience.
5: Yeah, yeah specifically that, that call center was managed by, by MV and under our contract with MV. So they were then actually then giving the instructions to the cab company. So we're kind of taking that piece out, as Johanna said.
0: Mary
10: Beth. Um, first, I just love the overall strategic direction, you know, redirecting resources to where they can have the most impact. Um, so uh, I think this follows up very nicely on um, Director Colbert's question of what, what are we doing to uh, make sure our services is, um, is topical for today? A um, couple of super uh, detailed questions. though. Um, circling back to the question about paper vouchers, what is your plan for security of those vouchers to ensure that they're not duplicated, that they're not sold, that they're not um, in any way misused?
13: That's a great question. Um, we are gonna we're going to print individual writers' names and their Marin Access ID and other information on the voucher. So ideally, that stops them from giving them out to anyone, and then once the rider gets in the vehicle, the driver will check their ID to confirm that it matches with the voucher. And so we're hopeful that will eliminate any opportunities for fraud or misuse.
10: Thank you. Next question. Um, I I gather that you're only anticipating a, a contract with Uber. There are other ride hailing apps. Is there some reason that you're focused only on
13: Uber? I think our experience working with Uber currently, we're familiar with the voucher program that'll allow us to operate this. Um, I think we will be evaluating the program as we go on and and determining whether or not we need to add additional taxi providers or additional TNCs. So our initial network is just uh, North Bay taxi and Uber, but we may expand beyond that.
10: And I I presume that there's no requirement for, Uh, public contracting um, to allow for competition.
5: We have, and the um, we did actually uh, secure the Uber contract initially through a, a competitive procurement, and so we're continue to continue on with that one. But you're right; in the future, we could look at. at uh, competitively contracting. The, the, the voucher program is a little bit different. The taxi voucher program, yeah, it's a little different than um, other services that we contract for. So um, yeah, we, we and we do need to offer, of course, uh, an accessible option, which is one of the reasons that we needed to find a, a taxi provider that would operate an accessible vehicle, um, like, like the one that we're going to provide them with the, the connect vehicle that will provide them in a lease uh, with this program. Thank you. Dennis?
3: So um, thank you, Johanna, for the great report. You know, I I think I've talked to Nancy many times about seeing Connect sitting around and wanting to make sure they're more more efficiently used. So I appreciate the program you've put together to try and do that. I I was just thinking that maybe we want to consider reinvesting the savings in this pilot in some way as, as incentivize, to incentivize, the, incentivize the, uh, the uses we want. And in particular, you know, I think the volunteer program is a lifeline to so many people. And, you know, it's 70 cents a mile, quite honestly. I think the federal government guidelines are between 55 and 60 or something like that. Um, if you're doing that service and you're doing it particularly in West Marin, um, it's costing you money probably to do that trip. And so and since it's the lowest cost subsidy we have, maybe we should look at really increasing that amount somehow, really make it worthwhile for people to volunteer, because I know they're having a lot of problems getting volunteers. I don't think it's all about money, but if money was was increased, it may, you know, you may get more volunteers. So I, I'd encourage you to look at that sort of thing and maybe using that savings in some way to. To build these programs and really give them a chance to test them out during the pilot, <clears throat> so I don't know if that's increased subsidies to some groups or whatever that is. And then with the um, North Bay Taxi, I think we're leasing them our vans just to make sure there's enough flexibility in that lease agreement that we can make some changes. Or you know, I don't know what that could be, but if there's a small group of people that want to do a shuttle somewhere, maybe maybe that would be a nice alternative that we could provide. And then also the option around developing similar partnerships if if it are available with other taxi companies, too, in other areas of Marin. So those are sort of my suggestions. And thank you.
11: Thank you.
4: Great. Uh, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I want to just acknowledge that we were early into this on-demand business uh, starting in 19, uh, 2018. Um, And that's part of Marin Transit, jumping in and trying things, which we're good at, and then modifying. And I, like Director Bush, you really appreciate the willingness to adjust things that have, you know, we've tried them, different models, some of them work, some of them didn't. And so uh, time to jettison and rethink. So I I like that we're going to more simple. Um, And I, I, Joanna, I wanted to ask, I mean, it seems to me one of our you're you're working with a lot of factors uh, that and and one of them is the lack of accessible vehicles mm-hmm. in the taxi industry. Right. I mean, I think it's important to realize that's why we have to why we maintain some of this service and can't turn everybody loose with a voucher is because mm-hmm. we don't have the vehicles that they can access. And so um, I think the lease is a great, a great step. Um, I I wondered as we continue to figure things out, uh, and this is a question to you and Nancy, if we have the ability to share what we're learning with other transit agencies and if we're learning from their experiences with on-demand, uh, some agencies I know haven't really tried it yet and are talking about it and could probably benefit from what we've learned, but I wonder if there's anything that other agencies have learned that, that factored into some of these changes.
13: Yeah, we did reach out to other transit agencies and talked through their experience using vouchers, their experience using TNCs, Um, so we certainly learned from our peers, and I think we all take any opportunity to share findings from our programs with anyone else, so certainly opportunities out there that we take advantage of.
4: Yeah, I mean, is it it fair to say that On Demand is still sort of in the experimental stage, public transit?
5: I I would say so, yeah. Yeah, I I think what I've heard and seen is that, yeah, everybody is kind of doing what we've done and testing it out, seeing where it works best. And it seems to work better in some places than it does in others. And certainly the accessibility component of it is important. There are a lot of other factors that play into how people roll these things out. So I think, yeah, it, it really is kind of site-specific uh, as to the successes that that are out there. But And there are others that I think have also found out what we found out, which is that it can be a very high cost subsidy per passenger to to undertake some of these services in certain areas so yes and just i will add on for the sake of the team a number of our team members have speak at conferences about this very topic especially in the early early days we were uh, highly sought after speakers on on our experience with the, the connect program yeah
4: well again compliments for this next iteration, and it'll be interesting to see what we learn. And since it has its own discrete audience of users that are not school users and they're not others, I think when we roll it out with messaging, uh, it'll be for that target mm-hmm. specifically and doesn't need to all get coordinated on the same day to roll out, I don't think. Right.
0: Okay. okay. And uh, Joanne, I have just have a couple follow ups. So, um,
1: With regard to that, to the outreach we're doing, uh, your focus groups and, and the organizations or groups that you're contacting both in getting input, but also as we communicate the changes, I'm just wondering if you could provide us a list of um, those organizations and, and or events you go to because um, we may have some thoughts on how to fill in. I don't want to suggest any here because I have a feeling you've got all the bases covered but I think that would be good for us to know. Um, like for instance I'm I'm thinking about um, I was at a Congregate Meal put on by Aging Adult Services in Corte Madera last week and spoke with several of the um, folks who were there and they basically were you know there a lot of them were depending on neighbors for rides and or they couldn't make it every month because they couldn't get a ride and i'm thinking that this expanded um uh the catch a ride 2.0 is going to be actually in that taxi model something that a lot of our uh, seniors may feel more comfortable with um and anyway so just if provide us a list and maybe we can fill in with some outreach so the other thing I wanted to ask you, so we know um, we know that we, we ridership has not returned uh, on a lot of the paratransit or our Marin Access customers. And um, some of that's with regards to, or in response to an un, un, unreliability or can't get a ride, what have you. What else do we know about who has not returned? Or are there specific groups? Um, and I asked this question towards The next question which is or suggestion which is hopefully we'll be able to bring riders back and or grow ridership and um, through the course of the year i'm hoping we can maintain the ability to expand capacity should we need it in any of these various services that start to actually get some traction whether it's volunteer ride program or marine access 2.0 what have you
13: yeah i think uh A lot of the day programs or activity centers for older adults haven't really returned fully back to service. Um, With respect to day programs, a lot of people changed their behavior and maybe started doing virtual programs or founded an alternative. Um, And those folks haven't come back to the service. Um, And so they're not using our services to get there. Um, There's also day programs that have recently closed, unfortunately. Um, And so I think there's a lot of reasons why we're not seeing the ridership, but certainly service reliability is the thing we're hearing lately that's a, a really concern for folks and why they're not maybe using our service.
1: Okay and I would think it would make sense to continue to keep our finger on the pulse of those programs um, because at some point they, they may return and then also it seems like it's almost it's almost like having to roll out a brand new program and do a whole population of new riders because um, you know the 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 muscle memory, as it were, um, the ridership memory isn't built anymore. If, if folks have gotten you know off the bus, as it were. Um, and I think let's see. Lastly, uh, I think I think Dennis's suggestion was really um, appropriate on that volunteer driver. Um, frankly, just saying a dollar instead of sixty or seventy cents makes the math either easier. <laughs> But, um, anyway, I think it's I think that that is a program to try to get more, more juice out of. Um, otherwise, I agree with all my colleagues. I, I think that really, uh, you and the team looking at what's working, what's not working, and then making these tweaks and, and changes all make sense um and the streamlining the communication is going to be key and then also not letting up on the communication as as i as I mentioned folks start to return to maybe more um more activities out of the house and, and we want to encourage that and support it so especially for the ADA and our senior writers. All right. So um any comments from members of the public out in Zoom land. Um, let's see I'll give everyone a moment
2: I see no raised hands on
1: Zoom. Okay, so you made a recommendation here, and I'd be looking for a motion to approve those recommendations.
14: Uh, I will move staff's recommendations.
1: Second. Motion, Lucan. Second, second. All those in favor?
14: Aye. Aye, aye and a roll call. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping us on our toes.
2: President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Second Vice President Lukin. Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Director Rodoni? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you, that matter carries.
1: Okay, all right, Uh, now we're on to um, item nine, and this is with regards to our zero emission bus rollout plan.
5: And Anna Panoyer is going to make this presentation. All right, good morning, Anna. Good morning.
15: Maybe that doesn't move. <laughs> um, good morning, Board of Directors, President Rice. I'm Anna Penoyer, Capital Projects Manager at Marin Transit. Item number nine in your packet, as Nancy just said, is um, our Marin Transit zero emission bus rollout plan. And today your board is being asked to adopt a resolution which approves the rollout plan and which will be submitted to the California Air Resource Board. Next slide. Quick overview of the presentation. We'll talk about the innovative clean transit regulation, then get into our current fleet, uh, the replacement and infrastructure plans, upcoming decision points, and finally cost. Next slide. Sorry. Um, So the California Air Resource Board, more commonly known as CARB, Uh, adopted the innovative clean transit rule, which I'll also refer to as the ICT in 2018. This rule applies to transit agencies with vehicles um, over 14,000 gross vehicle weight rating. Uh, So for Marin transit, this is only our fixed route fleet and not our paratransit and demand response fleet. Um, The rule puts in place a zero emission bus purchase requirement, also referred to as a a zero-emission bus, I'm also going to refer to as a ZEB for short. Um, So this purchase requirement for vehicle replacements for Marin Transit as a small operator will start in the year 2026, where 25% of Marin Transit's new bus purchases must be ZEBs. In 2029, this ramps right up to 100%. um, And Marin Transit first developed a transition plan in 2019. We revised it in 2020 with the SRTP, and we're bringing it back to your board now for adoption in advance of the June 30th, 2023 deadline to submit to CARB. This version has been updated with additional information requirements and reflects uh, Marin Transit's experience with electric buses to date. Next slide. A little bit of Background. Uh, this is a snapshot of Marin Transit's fixed route fleet, which is covered by the ICT. We have 39 hybrid standard size buses, six battery electric heavy duty buses, 20 narrow-bodied heavy duty buses, which are used is used on our rural services, and 16 medium duty cutaways. Next slide. Uh, As some additional background information, Marin Transit plans its vehicle replacements based on life cycles of vehicles, which are determined by FDA. Heavy duty vehicles have a 12 year life cycle. Cutaway vehicles like our shuttles and our fixed route fleet are medium duty vehicles and have a life cycle of seven years. Our light duty vehicles, demand response and paratransit fleet have a life cycle of just five years. Next slide. So when we were developing the rollout plan, uh, Marin Transit had to make some assumptions due to uncertainty about the future. Our first assumption was that we'll be able to purchase land for a facility by the year 2025. This will give Marin Transit time to develop infrastructure on that land in advance of a 2029 planned purchase of 10 zebs. The second assumption is that the range of depot charge buses will increase to 300 miles by the year 2027 to accommodate the length of our longer routes. Thirdly, we need to find a bus that can travel on the windy and hilly terrain of West Marin rural routes by the year 2030. Finally, Uh, We assumed that there would be no construction of in route vehicle charging or hydrogen fueling stations, although there are some decision points identified later in the presentation where we might reevaluate this choice. Next slide. Uh, So this slide shows the methodology for creating our plan. Uh, Firstly, all vehicles will meet their useful life and no vehicles will be retired early. This is a requirement uh, by the ICT. The plan prioritizes electrification of our fixed route, of our, excuse me, of the standard size bus fleet first, where there are many replacement options on the market today. Second, we'll prioritize the replacement of the cutaway fleet. There are some FTA approved battery electric cutaway options. The price is still almost three times what a traditional cutaway costs. And the life cycle is only seven years long, making um, that cost count a lot more. Um, So, we're hoping to give that a little bit more time to develop. Um, And we also have been testing that mini bus that was at our board meeting last month as a potential replacement for that vehicle type. Uh, the XHFs or narrow bodied vehicles are um, will be replaced last. These vehicles are traveling on the most challenging terrain, and the vehicle type was chosen to meet the requirements of the big hills and windy roads. So we're giving the, we're giving ourselves more time to find a suitable EV replacement um, for that vehicle type. Next slide. This chart is also in your packet and probably much easier to read in your packet. Um, It shows the planned purchases for the next, planned vehicle purchases for the next 16 years that the rollout plan covers. Uh, 2026, again, it is when Marin Transit has a 25% zero emission bus purchasing requirement followed by 100% in 2029. Next slide. Uh, And this graphic shows how our fleet composition will change over time as we progress along the plan. It'll go from 7% this year to 100% by the year 2040. Next slide. Along with our fleet rollout plan, Marin Transit is planning for infrastructure, At rush landing, there is ability to park and charge 20 fixed route vehicles. There are limitations to that site due to the narrowness of the property. At 3010 and 3010, 3020 Kerner, which we were recently purchased in 2022, we're planning for overnight charging of the demand response fleet. Plans here include the addition of solar canopies, backup battery storage and chargers, and these plans are currently under development. Next slide. Marin transit still requires land, as you've heard several times today, um, for charging an additional 60 60 fixed route vehicles. Uh, Staff are actively seeking possible properties and have submitted grant requests to fund potential purchases. Marin Transit needs to find additional land by 2025 in order to have enough time to bring power and charging equipment for that 2029 purchase of 10 vehicles I mentioned previously. Next slide. Along with our infrastructure planning, Marin Transit needs to coordinate with our utilities. Uh, to ensure that the grid has the capacity to charge our vehicles and that sufficient power can be brought to those charging locations. Marin Transit has already taken advantage of PG&E's electric vehicle fleet program for 600 rush landing where PG&E brought extra power capacity to the site and Marin Transit installed bus chargers will continue to take advantage of this program, which ensures that proper design standards for fleet electrifications are met and also ensures adequate grid capacity. Staff has also had conversations with MCE who are able to provide insight into electric rate structures and how to get the greenest energy into our fleet. Next slide. I'm going to try to go pretty quickly through these identified decision points in the interest of time. It's been a long meeting so far, Um, but in 2025, we will be making a variety of decisions confirming if uh, electric bus technology has improved to purchase additional vehicles beyond um, what we've planned for. If there's a good cutaway replacement available, Um, and evaluate the need to purchase expansion vehicles after we've had more direct experience and the industry has more um, experience with battery electric buses. In 2026, we'll update the infrastructure plan. If Marin Transit has not acquired additional land to support that 10 vehicle purchase, we'll have to investigate alternatives, including hydrogen fuel cell or consolidating infrastructure with a contractor. Next slide. In 2027, we'll determine if battery range has improved enough to deliver the existing service profile, allowing us to plan ahead if we'll need to purchase additional vehicles, redesign service, and or negotiate with jurisdictions to install opportunity charging. In 2028, we'll be looking ahead to the first replacement of the narrow-bodied XHFs, which is in 2031 we will decide whether there's a zero emission bus capable for rural service. If not, we would consider either purchasing additional vehicles, possibilities to install opportunity charging, um, hydrogen, or if we will need to cut the service. Uh, Finally, in 2029, we will again update the infrastructure plan based on the fleet status and the state of ZEB technology. Next slide. Uh, Marin Transit estimates that it will take about $73 million to electrify the fleet once land is obtained. Marin Transit is also planning for additional cost of fuel, uh, planning to invest and planning to invest in managed charging options to help control that cost as the fleet grows. There are lots of available grants right now to um, help fund this transition and Marin Transit continues to seek additional funding through those opportunities and a whole list of those is identified in the plan. Um, Next slide. Uh, And that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any additional questions. All right, Anna, thank you.
1: Really good report. We're moving along. Yes, uh,
15: Stephanie. Thank you.
4: Couple questions. Do I? Will you remind me? Do we have a Buy America requirement for buses that we purchase with federal money? Yeah. Yes. So that limits what we can look at in terms of buses. Um, yes. And then, um, again, looking, thinking of Marin transit as an early adopter, how do we stack up in our plans to electrify relative to other agencies? Do you know?
15: I don't know that I can say definitively. I know that we were an early adopter and because of that, we will get credits if for some reason we're not able to um, find replacements, suitable replacements, for example, for our rural fleet. We get credit for um, adopting early um, I think I think we're really good yeah. compared to other agencies. We have six in our fleet.
5: Um, yeah, I, I think we're we're doing reasonably well. I, I do think just an interesting um, f- fact or something that I've learned recently is that. Some of the agencies who went out early also are experiencing high costs, of uh, high high energy costs. And so they are rethinking and certainly re, re-looking at hydrogen as another option. And, and in fact, recently, one of uh, the local Bay Area agencies, um, instead of going with more electric, and they had quite a few electrics, decided to go back to diesel alternative, which was a pretty interesting choice, but they just cost-wise, they couldn't justify it, they thought. So um, they're, you know, I think we're all waiting for the industry to, to improve as well, the, you know, and the market for the vehicles to improve.
4: Yeah. And then just a the last question, and I bring this up every time on our fleet purchases about purchasing, uh, right-sizing our fleets, that I feel that sometimes our large buses are not full, And I wonder on some of our routes, why we have large buses as opposed to smaller ones, which might be lighter and easier to charge electrically. So anyway, just a pitch to right-size our vehicles. Uh, That was the comment. Brian? Yeah, thanks for
0: the
9: report. You know, yes, we we like always seem to talk about this whole facility thing because we we can't get away from it. So I'm sort of looking here at the infrastructure plan, and then I I see these decision points. But you know, what if we don't have a facility? Does this are we, are we still rolling through these decision points? Or that's
5: a great question. Um, we we don't yet, I would say, have a firm plan for not having a, an electric facility, as Anna kind of mentioned, we might need to work with partners, uh, some of our, our providers to see about using any of the facility sites that they have uh, available um, there. You know, as far as I know, and Anna, was going to ask you to address the, the, the rule, the CARB rule, and whether there are penalties, <laughs> and there, there haven't been any so far that I know of um, that, that are that come with not complying with the rule. Um, So we, we have not yet developed a full uh, plan for not having that facility, but did you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah. There um, won't be
15: penalties if we are not able to make the plan. Um, So for things like if there's not a suitable alternative vehicle available, there's no penalty. Um, And if we're unable to install infrastructure, that would also give us, um, they're not gonna come down on us at all. Um, but the idea is they want us to have a plan in place and be thinking about it um, and not have it come up, come as a surprise. So I think that um, as we're, 2025 is right around the corner really. Um, so we are starting to think about um, what's gonna happen if we are unable to secure a facility.
0: Anyone to my left? Okay. Um, Anna, so a couple questions
1: related to um, Supervisor or Director Moulton Peters' questions. So, given there's the American, uh, bi American element to this, I, I just even though at this point there's no hammer or penalties hanging over the head of transit providers up and down the state of California, given the size of the state and the car band aid, I just find it hard to believe that the industry, the manufacturing side of it hasn't responded. And even um, and and I guess the question I want to ask first is I think uh Stephanie and I both make the assumption that in Europe, maybe these um there's more advancement of clean fleets and potentially more options for product, but maybe you can straighten me out on that. But I'm just, uh, you know, California's a big state, a lot of transit, obviously COVID threw a big wrench in terms of the future of transit and regional transit, but still um, the size of the market you think would be really helping to move what's available.
15: And I think it is, um, the Altuna testing process is extensive. It takes years to pass. Um, unfortunately, that caused a delay, but I've heard of more and more manufacturers from Europe who are um, going through that process right now. The minibus that was here last month was is not currently Altuna tested, but is going through the process right now. Um, so I think there are more players coming into the market Um, and along with that for heavy duty vehicles, there's concurrently, uh, truck requirements that are happening at the same time. So I think that, um, some of those technologies are similar. So hopefully that will help the, the bus industry as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, good. Well, good to know. And this is so important, um, really in terms of meeting our emission goals. Um, so, um anyway i think we do have what sounds like we're meeting the plan we have a plan in place that carb should be should meet carbs requirement with at least the planning side of things but again this this uh locating a you know um, a site and the infrastructure to charge is so important so i guess my last question is um uh, to the degree that uh, we're, you're needing any support in working with partners um, in terms of establishing, whether that's Golden Gate Transit or other, in terms of investing in charging. I don't know where Golden Gate is with regards to electrifying its fleet. Of course, it's a different challenge. Yeah. Nowhere? Okay.
4: <laughs> Sorry. They're, they're studying it. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, um, anyway, keep keep us apprised, and then lastly, I uh, hopefully that you're you're regularly briefing um Congressman Huffman's office, um, just to make sure he he understands the progress and or challenges we potentially are facing in terms of meeting the state mandate. But of course, we know the congressman is very interested in in climate generally and electrifying or getting off of of carbon uh carbon fueled uh transportation. So yeah. so let's see. Um can we go to see if anyone is on Zoom who'd like to qu- ask a question or provide a comment?
2: Yes. Anthony Nakor, please unmute
6: good morning again, um, board of directors and um Marine Transit staff. Um I have a suggestion of bringing back the idea of Partner, partnering with AC Transit and other related agencies in testing the hydrogen bus, I remember there was a time back in um, 2012, 2013, when AC Transit partnered with um, Golden Gate Transit in experimenting the hydrogen bus um, servicing um, um, the um, the East Bay to uh, Marin County route, which was the Route 40 with Golden Gate. And it also operated um, on services to San Francisco and within Marin County. So if we can revisit that idea of... Um, collaborating with um, nearby agencies like ac transit sam transit um, you know even muni for for that matter so that we can have more um demonstrator buses for hydrogen and all electric buses that will allow us Marin uh, marine transit to have a wide range of choices in terms of which vehicles can power our fleet for the future and as you know like as um you know, like as sad, as as sad, as, sad as it sounds um hydrogen buses may actually be more powerful and provide more range for um, our vehicles, especially for our longer local routes. So please reconsider the fact that, you know, we have other agencies on our side that we can visit and collaborate with so that we can have more choices for our vehicles in the future. Thank you.
0: There are no additional speakers in the queue. All right. Thank you, Anthony
1: for your comment on this and other items today. And so let's see, um, this was, a, is this an action item? Yes, it is. We So we need to adopt a resolution which will approve the Marin County Transit Zero, uh, the Marin County District Zero Emission Bus Rollout Plan and authorize the general manager to submit the plan to to CARB in accordance with the innovative clean transit regulations. We have a motion. I'll move the adoption.
9: I'll second the adoption.
1: Motion Sackett, second Colbert. Can we have a roll call, please? President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Second
2: Vice President Lucan? Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Yes. Director Rodoni?
14: Yes.
1: Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. All
0: right. Thank you very much, Kate and Nancy and team. Um, we are adjourned. Thank you.